Uh, this is some old farmer's advice. Life is simpler when you plow around the stump. A bumblebee is considerably faster than a John Deere tractor. Forgive your enemies. It messes with their heads. Every path has a few puddles. Most of the stuff people worry about ain't never going to happen anyway. Don't judge folks by their relatives. (laughs) If you find yourself in a hole, the first thing to do is stop digging. The biggest troublemaker you'll probably ever have to deal with watches you from the mirror every morning. (laughs) Good judgment comes from experience. And a lot of that comes from bad judgment. If you think, if you get to thinking you're a person with some influence, Try ordering somebody else's dog around. (laughs) So, a little bit of break ice. You know, I was thinking, what what, what I need to do tonight? Oh, I have to lasso you in, you know. You've been out on the free range there, and, and, uh, (laughs) you know, it's going to take a little lasso to, to kind of bring you back in here, so it's all right. I got it covered. (laughs) So, poem. The World Calling. From this silence so well constructed, I wander off into tomorrow, bending like a willow, trying to touch a world unhatched, this impossible of my imagination. I am the intimacy of faith, that which is buried beneath the wounds of my stories. Sometimes everything has to be studied, knowing somehow the sitting here, not enough. This knowing, the fierce walking like pilgrims through the darkness, knowing we've traveled inside everyone. feeling the grief and the joys. I want to know no more traveling on the wings of fear and hope, but to sit by the fire of living, no longer dying to what could have been or even what will be, but finding my place in the things that are, finding my place in the things that are, some mystery, some grace, some bit of mercy, miraculously lived. So let this listening, somewhere beneath the granite shelves of the earth, where the sweet waters lie in wait, to be tapped, to give life, to give life back to itself. This basic goodness, 
this first step home, giving you back to yourself, this heart flowing with each encounter, this heart flowing with each encounter, a mind pliable, moving like a sweet stream from the deep down listening. I am awake as the world calls in its pungent need to change me. I move into it, with it. So I thought tonight I would uh, start with uh, one of those little stories that uh, has held me uh, for, I don't know, 45 years or something, long time ago. But it was one of those uh, truths that, you know, um, I think when I was about 11, um, my family took, to, took me to Lourdes in France. And I remember seeing the, the, there was a lot of old women in black you know, who came and they had such religious fever uh, at Lourdes that it actually took, an, and I kind of opened my heart to that there was more uh, somewhere out there, way beyond, you know? And later, my mother, uh, she took me to Thailand, and uh, just seeing, you know, they say just seeing a monk sometimes, someone who uh, no longer uh, holds anything and simply walks on the earth, uh, uh, letting everything go. You know, and as a kid, about I was about fifteen or sixteen, and it really moved me. And then going on to uh, with my mother to Jerusalem and Bethlehem, and seeing that somewhere in there, in me, uh, was this uh, truth about uh, a pilgrim, someone who wanted to seek and find, and uh, and the earth was my oyster, you know, and I had to go and see, you know. I, I love this. This is from David White's uh, The Pilgrim from Camino. The way forward, the way between things, the way already walked before you, the path disappearing and reappearing, even as the ground gave way beneath you, the grief apparent only beneath you, only in the moment of forgetting, then the river, the mountain, the lifting song of the skylarks inviting you over the rain-filled pass when your legs had given up. But your loss brought you here to walk under one name and one name only and to find the guise under which all loss can live. Remember, you were given that name every day along the way. Remember, you were greeted as such. You needed no other name. Other people seemed to know you, even before. You gave up being a shadow on the road and came into the light. Even before you sat down with them, broke bread, wiped the wind tear, the wind 
tears from your eyes. Pilgrim, they called you again. Pilgrim. So it touches me because I feel like my whole life has been uh, this pilgrimage, you know, that is simply, you know, and, and there is a piece of finding, you know. And so I wanted to tell you a story tonight, and it's a story about a pilgrim, you know, um, who kind of went off and ventured around the world, you know, uh, in the 60s, kind of uh, from Paris to, uh, in the 1960s, going to hate Ashbury, and, uh, you know, I got ejected uh, from the hate, you know, and uh, went overland uh, to India, you know. And one of the lovely things in those years, uh, you know, I had long hair, and uh, I uh, simply uh, was a pilgrim, a traveler. And the Indian people uh, on the trains and in the villages, um, they were so kind, you know. They knew who I was, you know. And they would ask me questions, you know, where do you come from, what do you, all the questions. And there was always this piece about, uh, you know, oh, I'm seeking, I'm looking, you know. And that they, in their culture, understood that there had been uh, seekers uh, for thousands of years that they, uh, 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 in a sense, kind of allowed. It was more difficult here, but they allowed and supported So, in the years that uh, I had to actually, uh, I spent uh, years kind of traveling back and forth in, in different ashrams, and uh, there was always, you know, it was long hair or a monk or shaved head, or, you know, I just was anybody that could be out there, you know, uh, seeking. And I thought I knew so much, you know. And so uh, in this journey, I, um, in the winters, I would travel around India and go to retreats and stuff. And then in the summers, when the rainy season came, uh, I would go up into this Kulu Valley, and I would live up there in the summers, you know. And I don't know, it was second or third year there. Uh, it was uh, what is known as Vesak or Vesak. And it is the full moon in May. Uh, for um, really for Buddhist pilgrims, it is the 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 birth, the enlightenment, uh, the first teachings, uh, and the passing away on the May full moon. And so, uh, being a, a good pilgrim, uh, I decided that I would have to climb this. There was a mountain behind us called Hanuman Tib where I lived, and so uh, I decided, oh. It was May full moon, and um, the monsoon doesn't start usually till uh, middle of June. And so I thought, oh, this is perfect time. I'll just, I'll climb uh, up, to, up the Hanuman Tib, you know. And I was going simply as a pilgrim to uh, you know, touch into, uh, you know, something between the full moon and the sun rising, you know. And so uh, the journey was uh, very steep up. This was sheep herders' paths that went up, you know. 
And I started very early in the morning from uh, my little kuti, my hut. And uh, I walked and I had my kind of my sleeping bag and a down jacket and, uh, you know, kind of my Chinese tennis shoes and uh, kind of at that time baggy pants. And um, I took off and as I started to climb uh, up and up and up along this um, uh, really crashing river that was uh, the Himalayan uh, glaciers kind of just pouring into this gorge. And um, I started walking and I noticed as I started walking during the day that the clouds moved in over the Hanumantib, you know, and, um, and I think it's around 21,000 feet. And so I kept climbing and the clouds kept moving in, you know, and one of the things that happens sometimes is uh, when full moon happens, uh, even though it was not rainy season, um, they come and they uh, begin to drizzle. And so it began to drizzle, and I began saying, oh, I have to find some shelter after all day walking. I walked all day. And as I began uh, to go further, uh, I realized that the canyon had become steeper and steeper. And there was really no place uh, to shelter from the rain. So I kept walking until uh, it started getting dark and kind of muddy and, and uh, cold. And um, eventually, uh, it actually got dark. And uh, I eventually found a, 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 it felt like kind of an, a waterfall and kind of the end of this. And so, uh, and at this point, it's getting very cold. And uh, and rainy, and my I, my down sleeping bag. Um, you know now they have sleeping bags that don't, um, you know, are kind of water repellent down. You know, but in those days it just was mush. You know, my jacket was just mush, and so uh, I had to find shelter. So I found shelter finally, and it was the place where I had to learn. I had to learn about. Uh, that one seed, you know. And so I found a place uh, underneath. Uh, it was really just an overhang of a large, it's actually large boulder. And um, so, and there's also was there was a little bit between uh, slush and rain. So it was that cold, you know. And there was no place I could go. So I, being a good yogi, I thought, well, I'm just going to sit up uh, since there was just enough room to sit. And uh, the rock kind of went behind me, and there was an a overhang that was there. And so I made the determination. I had, I had every kinds, all kinds of toolboxes with me, you know, or practices. So I sat, you know. And it got colder, uh, and it began to rain, uh, and kind of, uh, it was between slush and, and rain. And a process began to happen, you know. And that process was that uh, I realized that it had been in years I had left the U.S., and, and um, I, I didn't get along with my father at all. You know, and he was really from a, another tribe in some ways. 
And uh, so I would begin to uh, write letters, you know, explaining myself. And as I began to explain myself and all the kind of feelings of guilt, I would lean forward. And as I leaned forward, then the, the water that was uh, dripping down the rock would land on my face, and I would pull back, you know. And so this began, uh, you know, uh, uh, at first it was a really unconscious process. And then I would think about, oh, you know, no one knows I'm up here. And my, I had had two friends, actually, a Danish boy and an and a, a Australian boy, who had died. It's just the kind of thing I was doing, you know? And so there was that piece of, oh, my God, what have I done? Nobody knows where I am, you know? And suddenly that whole, it was almost a sense of panic, like, oh, my gosh, I, I really did it this time, you know? And I would lean back, and I would hit my head, you know, from the fear. And, uh, and so there began this dance, which was really between that, uh, you know, leaning out in the future, wanting to fix, you know, uh, who I was in some way. And then the primal fear. So I would go back and forth, you know, and I would, I would sit there and then I'd get to the center and then the next thing I'd know uh, you know, it'd be a sense of fear. So I would then, and I, then I, oh, I don't want to die up here without telling my father, you know, I have to write this letter to him. And so immediately I would go uh, into what? Into fantasy, into the future. Somehow I would get to do this, you know. Of course, I would lean forward, and the water would run down my face, you know. And then I'd go along and kind of, kind of sit for a minute for a little while. And oh, by the way, I had, uh, oh, I had more mantras and more blessing chords and more, uh, I mean, I was like, <laughs> I had all of the, what's the paraphernalia and, and things that a person could have in those days, you know. And at some point I started recognizing, you know, and I'd done uh, my fair amount of Vipassana, you know. And I began to sit and realize, and there was a part of my thinking that was magical thinking, you know, that somehow uh, if I just uh, believed or prayed hard enough, I would kind of get out, you know. But of course, when I would start that, I would lean forward and the water would run down my face, you know, kind of, uh-oh. And, uh, and then there would be that sense of, you know, where am I, who am I? And I would recoil, bang my head on the stone behind me, which was very wet, so it's just one big uh, kind of uh, wet thing. But when I began to realize was that there was a place in the center, you know? And that place in the center uh, was actually a place that uh, physically uh, was not a problem, you know? And so it began this process of saying, oh, you know what, I, I'm not going to try to do uh, all these mantras and, and all these prayers, all this stuff I had, that it was, it was really this simple. You know, if I lost it, I leaned forward, and the water run down my face. If I contracted, I would lean back and hit the stone, the wet stone, you know. It took me a while to get it. 
And one of the very unusual things that happened in the middle of the night was, uh, you know, it had been dry season for many, many months. And so uh, what would happen is suddenly the earth would shake, you know, and there'd be huge noises and crashes, but everything was dark and, and it was raining and I couldn't see. I didn't know what was going on, but literally the earth shook, you know. I thought, well, maybe, you know, the Buddha, he got enlightened and the earth shook, but this wasn't my thing, <laughs> you know. And uh, so it shook, and uh, I didn't know what was going on, and it, it happened many times during the night, you know. And again, this ideal that, oh, there is a place in the center, you know, that I have to give up wanting it to be different than it is, you know. And it was actually a great revelation of that there is a place that we can sit in the center of fear and wanting, you know, of that hope and fear, you know. And that there was that place was a place you had to surrender. And surrender to what? Well, in this case, it was just, oh, it was the body sitting in the center. Anything I made up, you know, uh, would, I would journey off. So, complete story here. So, um, the dawn came, and I was freezing. I would, during the night, I, I, I would go through, I, I had hyperthermia, you know, and I think it, it exaggerated my experience uh, of uh, when I could center myself and what it was like when I was in hope or fear, you know, and the extreme, the, the actual physical knowledge of it. So when dawn came, the clouds actually moved aside. You know, it happens uh, in the Himalayas and just at dawn, you know. And uh, just above me, there was uh, snow on the ground, and I realized what I had done is I was under a boulder that was in an avalanche area. And what was happening, the first rains came, and it dislodged, because the Himalayas are so young, and it's very steep, you know? And, and so during the night, it would dislodge uh, boulders, and they would come crashing down, uh, shaking the earth, and uh, putting me into fear, you know? And so I suddenly recognized where I was, where, what was going on. And the thing that was so amazing, it was like the revelation of this, was um, not maybe 200 feet above me uh, was an ice field. And it, was, it had a fresh, uh, you know, several inches of snow on it. And I walked up. And the, there were glacier faces, all these uh, kind of blue-white uh, uh, faces, uh, steep faces around me. And uh, I got up there, and uh, the moon, full moon was setting, and the sun was rising. And it was like one of those moments where, you know, you survived, and uh, there's always something about if you made it, you know, you survived something difficult, uh, that there is this uh, kind of... Uh, release that happened. And it was an a, a, a important release for me. Um, because I, even though all the retreats I'd done, everything, this was momentous in the stuff I did, that life actually gave me something that uh, was a great teacher. You know. 
And of course, as soon as dawn came, typical in those mountains, it came back in and covered everything over. But just for that, you know, maybe it was half an hour, there was a, a sense of uh, the grandeur of, uh, of what we live in, you know, and what the mountain is, you know. And then it was wonderful, um, even though I just remember, what I remember was there was, there was uh, this water that was torrential coming down uh, this uh, canyon. And um, my tennis shoes that were not the greatest, and the mud and the slipping, you know, as I made my way down that mountain, you know. And the thing I, I'll have to add to it was uh, I found a, uh, a sheep herder's cave that I began to inhabit up there that had the most um, incredible view uh, looking out over the, uh, the mountains, you know. And I have to tell you a story when I would go up there. Now, I, I wasn't going to do this, but I had to add this, you know. So the, the, the locals had taught me how to, uh, that I would go up there and I would pick, you know, there was wild thyme, wild onions, wild garlic, and so you just take your rice and your tea and your sugar and, and your curry up with you, uh, with your pot, uh, one pot cooking. And, um, and the other thing was they had taught me how to pick the local mushrooms, so I would go out mushroom hunting. These were edible mushrooms. <laughs> so I went out one morning, and um, I was out there. And um, the Himalayan blackbirds, he's a big dude, you know? And I went out there, and I actually have a friend that, uh, in Dharamsala that was actually, uh, uh, the, the bear grabbed its head and shook it. But I didn't know anything about it. I was just, you know, I was innocent. But I, I was looking for the mushrooms. Well, this bear was, I don't know, looking for nuts, you know? And we, we collided, you know, like several feet apart, you know? And he looked up, or she, and I looked up, and both of our eyes got like about this big, right? <laughs> and I ran that way, and he ran the other way. And, he, and there was a branch, it was probably four inches, and he hit it and ripped it off this pine tree, you know? I mean... And I, I must say, you know, it was a wonderful moment. And, and, you know, I stayed up there anyway. By the way, this is, this is true. I just stayed up there, and it was okay, because somehow I had come to peace with um, uh, the bear being up there, you know? And uh, the bears were known for going down in the, the apple orchards below. Um, so anyway, this is a story, you know? And, uh, you know, I'm, a part of my idea tonight was just kind of pull you in. But the truth is that this truth of that sitting in that seat and that uh, sometimes we have to be tested, you know? And you get tested with all the stories and the fantasies and the past that, that are here for you, you know? And then there's moments, and I must say that sometimes when I've come out of retreat, you know, there's such high sensitivity that I'll have, uh, you know, things will get a little confused, and I'll have these kind of uh, rushes of fear, you know. And I hope that doesn't happen to you, but I'm just saying sometimes, you know, it does.
but it also is just leaning back. It's just leaning back, and um, there is that stone. And there is this center place, this place that um, you have been inhabiting here over and over and over again. There's a way to begin to trust, you know, that uh, somehow I truly believe that all of you here actually know what I'm talking about, that there is that place that has always, uh, in some ways, been your solace, you know? And sometimes I think, oh, you come here, and I know you tell your stories, and I know you get all caught up in all sorts of things, you know, and there's always, you know, there's always uh, the suffering, you know. Uh, It kind of uh, is exposure here. It comes with the territory. But also, there are all these moments uh, where um, you are actually sitting kind of in the center of things. And there is a great relief. But the thing is, you don't notice it a lot of times. You know, because the, in a sense, the, the mind that is uh, always reacting to uh, leaning forward or pushing away doesn't recognize the nature of that place in the center. And so you come here and you kind of wrestle with all that, but you actually begin to get comfortable, you know. And really getting comfortable with nothing going on, you know, moments where nothing's happening. And I do believe that when you recognize it more and more, a sense of trust begins to build. You know, and it's something that um, it'll still be with you. You know, it's not something you lose. Uh, It's something that naturally was there and inherent, but you need it in some way. Maybe sometimes it has to just be pointed out, you know, in some simple way. So I was supposed to talk about the Eightfold Noble Path tonight, (laughs) you know? I think that's what I was supposed to talk about, you know? And I will speak a little because there's this piece, uh, particularly, uh, you know, It's an eight-spoked wheel. And uh, you can go anywhere. You can start anywhere on it. You know, uh, in the tradition, they use the language of uh, kind of uh, wise view, uh, wise intention, or uh, wise thought, um, wise speech, and action, and livelihood. and effort. 
and concentration and mindfulness. That's the whole path. And they speak of it as actually uh, the Shila Samadhi in Panya, you know. And so I'd like to really go to this piece around Panya because I think, uh, or sometimes in, in Sanskrit, Prajna. Uh, because uh, it's something that you're going to be, uh, in some sense, you're going to be taking all this with you and you're going to be working with this over and over, you know. And they talk about it simply, uh, first of all, you know, in some systems I know, they call it the perfection of view, you know, that we're here in some sense perfecting our view uh, of how things are, you know. And uh, for sure, you know, when they talk about it, there is first the kind of mundane uh, in wise view. And uh, traditionally, when they talk about it, they talk about it as uh, being our awareness of um, karma, you know, uh, our action. And so I'd like to just read to you, these are they're, they're kind of, uh, as far as view goes, uh, the kind of basis of the fundamentals here. So, the five daily reflections. I am of the nature to grow old. There is no way to escape growing old. I am of the nature to have ill health. There is no way to escape ill health. I am of the nature to die. There is no way to escape death. All that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature to change. There is no way to escape being separated from them. My actions are my only belongings. I love that. My actions are my only belongings. I cannot escape the consequences of my actions. My actions are the ground, are the ground upon which I stand. I'm kind of refined with this because really of a, a view. Um, and they use the word karma, but really in some sense it's just action. I am the owner of my actions. I inherit, I inherit my actions. I am related to my actions. I live supported by my actions. Whatever actions I create, whether good or evil, that I shall inherit. So this is traditionally the kind of the um, the mundane uh, kind of uh, view of wise view. Uh, there's also the wonder of um, a good heart, and uh, the good heart, you know, it has the capacity to recognize. Uh, the nature of giving, uh, the nature of supporting, uh, that is uh, part of that, you know. So uh, we get it in that way, as a wise, as this wise view, you know. There's also a subtle, a subtle view. And first of all, just what you've been doing here, in the sense of 
Um, you know, whatever you do, you're always, uh, the Buddha taught for 45 years, and in everything he taught, there was always the Four Noble Truths, you know. And so there was the understanding of uh, the relative process that we live in. Uh, there is uh, causes uh, of simply tana, this craving that happens. And there's freedom. You know, and a path leading to it. So this subtle view is actually something we've stepped into here. You know, we've worked with uh, seeing the characteristics, the marks of existence, of impermanence, of suffering, of, uh, of um, you know, I like uh, Ajahn Chah's kind of just empty, you know, not self. Just the thinning out of uh, how we are. There's also a piece of this that uh, always touches me. And um, it really has to do with our ability uh, to um, rest in our natural state, you know. And that natural state is not holding uh, anything, you know. Uh, It sees the relative world as the marks of existence as phenomena that arises and passes away and sees that the play of this uh, self and other uh, as not the whole story, you know, and that we begin to allow in some way uh, to rest in this peace and ease. And it's not creating um, more or less. It's simply that the that that we know as the kind of mind heart uh, expands and holds all things. You know. And it is, in a sense, a subtle view. Because its nature is to free everything as quickly as possible, you know. And that when we create, uh, you know, um, let's see if I can find this. Um, I don't know if I have it here. Oh, it's stuck. I think so much when we kind of free ourselves from anything that uh, we create so many views and opinions. And I think sometimes, what are you doing here? You know, is I, I, I don't know, I'm kind of dating myself here, but there was this movie Ghostbusters, right? And um, you know, out to bust the, the, the ghosts. Well, we're kind of playing Ghostbusters here, you know? But what are we doing, you know? that you have an insight and you create a a view around that. You suddenly create something around it. And the practices here are actually, uh, like Ghostbusters, we're actually view busters, you know? And that we make up 
kind of, oh, I had this insight, and then out of that I created this, and out of that I created that, and I, I, I think I got it, you know? But it's more than that, you know? It's actually releasing uh, the views, you know? This is from the Sutta Nipata. It's a bit long, but... This I do declare. After investigating, there is nothing among all the doctrines that such a one as I would embrace. Seeing misery and philosophical views without adopting any of them, searching for the truth, I discovered inward peace. Not by any philosophical opinion, not by tradition, not by knowledge, not by virtue and holy works, can anyone say that purity exists, nor by the absence of philosophical opinions, by the absence of tradition, by the absence of knowledge, by the absence of virtue and holy works either. Having abandoned these without adapting anything else, without adapting anything else, let one, calm and independent, not desire any resting place, not to desire any resting place. One thinks oneself equal to others or superior or inferior. For that very reason, disputes. But one who is unmoved under those three conditions. But that person, the notion of equal, superior, and inferior, do not exist. The sage for whom the notion of equal and unequal do not exist, would he say, this is true? Or with whom should he dispute, saying, this is false? With whom should he enter into dispute? And any accomplished person does not, by philosophical view or by thinking, become arrogant, for he is not of that sort, nor by holy works, nor by tradition is he led. He is not led into anything of the resting places of the mind. He is not led into any of the resting places of the mind. For one who is free, there are no ties. For one who is delivered by understanding, there are no follies. But those who grasp after views and philosophical opinions, they wonder about the world, annoying people. I like the last line, you know. So, so it really is just letting go, you know, uh, kind of reappearing with a, in a way, almost like a, a open, a child's mind. And yet, there's intelligence and discernment, uh, simply because uh, when one recognizes that one cannot, can liberate uh, all the views, then uh, one recognizes that the kind of second part of this path of the prajna or pana, uh, of the wisdom factors, uh, is the fact that uh, there is uh, wise intention and wise thought. You know. And we have the power 
Innes. Uh, that's pretty much what we're working on here, uh, is understanding this and realizing that, you know, uh, what we think is what we become. This is from actually uh, taken from Mahagosananda, uh, the Cambodian patriarch, uh, out of a little book he did on. He was uh, there's a great picture down in the in the um, gratitude hut down there of the Dalai that happened here at Spirit Rock was the Dalai Lama and Mahagosananda. There's a picture down there of seeing which one could get lower than the other. It's so sweet. You know, and um, this is, and so it comes from the Buddha, but this is uh, kind of his piece on it. Is think before you speak. The thought manifests as the word. The word manifests as the deed. The deed develops into a habit. The habit hardens into a character. The character gives birth to a destiny. So, watch your thoughts with care and let them spring from love born out of the respect for all beings. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? You know? So, you know, one of the things, um, because these are really kind of foundational pieces of the wisdom factor, um, but there also uh, this eight-spoked wheel, there's also... Um, what is known as sila, or the kind of, um, it is understanding uh, a virtue or moral code. And one of the things when I first was with uh, Anagarika Manindra in India in the 60s, you know, um, I was a kid, and uh, I liked this other stuff. But when it came to um, the, um, the, oh, these precepts and, and uh, you know, it sounded like, oh my, you know, like laws or rules or something. But it was great at that time. He said, oh, John, don't, don't, you don't have to see it this way, you know. Think of it this way, that when the mind, you know, uh, it understands uh, what rights or wise speech is and what wise action is and what livelihood is, uh, then the mind is at peace, you know? And that uh, then you have the ability to concentrate, you know? And uh, it's true. You know, one of the wonders of coming here is there's this, you know, we're not allowed to talk to each other, so you guys are cool about that. And uh, it's really, in a sense, uh, this whole kind of, uh, I, I think of it as a cauldron, because we put you all put some heat under it, you know. Um, but uh, it is, a, uh, in a sense, the purity uh, that we have to hold here of, um, of non-harming, of um, really of um, not taking what is not given. You know, these are kind of fundamentals, but, uh, and celibacy is like, uh, you know, no acting out. And um, that... Also, the, the beauty which you've now entered into uh, about speech. You know, a powerful, powerful tool. And yet, and yet, you know, 
understanding that, uh, you know, I think of it as, oh, can I come from my heart when I speak? You know, can I stay in my body? You know, and do I recognize, is it, uh, is it kind? Is it helpful? You know, is it true? Is it not divisive speech, harsh or, you know, idle gossip or um, uh, passive-aggressive speech? You know. And uh, is it the right time? Is it timely? You know, simple f- rules of uh, speaking from the heart. You know. It's so easy. You know, when you first started speaking, it's kind of like oh. You get back into habit very quickly if you didn't notice, you know. So here you have a chance while you're here to actually practice with this, you know. And understand uh, deeply that the precepts are the prerequisite uh, to a collected uh, heart, mind. No. And then, yes, uh, the kind of the last parts of this are simply, uh, it is, there is effort here, but the difference is, you know, one of the things for me was always, there was something about effort was to get something, you know. And this is really about uh, the effort to show up, to just be, you know. Listen uh, deeply and to know, you know. And then the concentration, and uh, we've all been working on this, um, you know, the mind uh, kind of resting and full of the moment, you know. And that's, this is the whole path, it's that. So I went ahead and gave you the whole talk. See? <laughs> Didn't think I could do it, did you? <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm going to close with my poem here. The World Calling From this silence so well constructed I wander off into tomorrow bending like a willow trying to touch a world unhatched this impossible of my imagination I am this intimacy of faith, that which is buried beneath the wounds of my stories. Sometimes everything has to be studied, knowing somehow the sitting here is not enough. This knowing, this fierce walking, like pilgrims through the darkness, knowing we've traveled inside everyone feeling the grief and joys. I want to know no more traveling on the wings of fear and hope, but to sit by the fire of living, no longer dying to what could have been or even what will be. But finding my place in the things that are, some mystery, some grace, 
some bit of mercy, miraculously lived. So let this listening somewhere beneath the granite shelves of the earth where the sweet waters lie in wait to be tapped to give life back, back to itself. This basic goodness, this first step home, give you back to yourself the heart flowing with each with each encounter, a mind pliable, moving like the sweet stream from the deep down listening. I am awake as the world calls in its pungent need to change me. I may move into it, with it.